Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy. This is podcast number 197. And in today's podcast, we're going to recap a meeting that took place in Phoenix, Arizona a couple of weeks ago for a physical therapist called the Graham Sessions. So if you're a physical therapist and you're wondering, what are the Graham Sessions? What's the point? Why is it called the Graham Sessions? How can I get there? What is the deal? You're not alone. I felt that same way last year. This year, I sort of fished out a way to get myself there, and I'm very, very glad that I did. So in today's episode, we're going to answer all those questions. What is Graham Sessions? What's the point? Why did it come about? And why should I care? If you're a physical therapist, why should you care? So in this episode, I interview Steve Anderson. Steve is one of the founders of the Graham Sessions, He is the moderator of the Graham Sessions and has been for the last nine years. Next year will be the 10th year. And he is the CEO of Therapeutic Associates, which is a physical therapy company that consists of 83 outpatient clinics in Washington, Oregon, and Idaho, and a major hospital contract in Southern California. As a physical therapist, he started his career in 1980 in Portland, Oregon. I think I'm giving away his age. Um, And then in 1983, he opened the first Therapeutic Associates Clinic in the state of Washington and West Seattle. And he is also actively, he is also active nationally in the APTA, which is the American Physical Therapy Association, is a board of trustee for the Foundation for Physical Therapists, and was the president of the private practice section of the APTA for six years between 2002 and 2008. He was awarded the most prestigious award, the PPS, uh, the private practice section, gives out annually to a physical therapist, the Robert G. Dykus Service Award in 2010, and he received the APTA Leadership Advocacy Award in 2006 for his efforts in Washington, D.C. and Washington State in the legislative arena. And in 2012, he received the Distinguished Alumnus Award from Northwestern University Physical Therapy School. So Steve, Bins, Steve has been around for a while. He has, like I said, not only been to all the Graham sessions, but has been the moderator of the Graham sessions. And in today's episode, we're going to give you a really detailed overview of all the topics that were brought up in Graham sessions, what his thoughts are, why Graham sessions was formed, who is Patrick Graham, who Graham sessions was named after, and What does Steve feel like is the future for Graham Sessions? So it was a really great conversation. So if you missed the Graham Sessions and you want to know what we talked about for for that day and a half, listen to this podcast. It was really great. Moving on to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Community Board. I want everyone listening, if you're a physical therapist, if you're not a physical therapist, if you're a bike rider, if you love fitness, if you're passionate about staying healthy, Go to freetheyoke.com. That's F-R-E-E-T-H-E-Y-O-K-E. It is the brainchild of Mike Eisenhart, who is the president of the New Jersey chapter of the Physical Therapy Association. He's also a physical therapist. He's passionate about helping his clients and his community live healthy lives. And he has started this movement called Free the Yoke. We are hoping to break the Guinness Book of World Records for a cross-country bike ride. Uh, starting, I believe, in San Francisco and ending up in New Jersey at the Jersey Shore. So go to Free to the Yoke, Free the Yoke, find out more about it, how you can get involved. You can donate, you can be a bike rider, you can be, if you're a physical therapist, you can be a rest stop along the way. So check it out. It's for an excellent, excellent cause. And I thank Mike for 
uh, pushing the boundaries and pushing physical therapy forward in a really positive way. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com. So if you want a free download and a free month, go to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. That's my affiliate link. Sign up, get your free download and your free month. They have over 180,000 books available in their library. I listen to Audible all the time. I actually just finished When Breath Becomes Air. If you are, if you work in the medical field, or even if you don't, if you know someone who does, or if you know someone affected by cancer, this is a must-read book. Um, it spoke to me very, very profoundly. Um, again, it's called When Breath Becomes Air, and I listened to it on audible.com. So again, for the healthy, wealthy, and smart listeners, you can go to my uh, affiliate link, which is audibletrial slash healthy, wealthy, smart. It's audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. Okay, so big thanks to Audible for sponsoring this podcast. And without further ado, let's get to today's uh, co- great conversation with Steve Anderson. Hi, Steve. How are you? And thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the annual Graham Sessions meeting. So the ninth annual Graham Sessions just took place January 14th to the 16th in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona. And... There was a lot of social media buzz about it. I think there was, at least I was seeing a lot on Twitter and on Facebook about the meetings itself. And I wanted to have you on just to talk a little bit more about the origin of the meetings, what happened this time around, and where we see it going in the future. So let's start at the beginning. So uh, before we went on air, Steve and I were talking, and he has been to every Graham Sessions, and he is also, I might add, the moderator of the Graham Sessions and did a really fantastic job, so thank you for all your hard work. Well, thank you. And so let's start from the beginning. How did this all come about, these Graham Sessions? Sure. It was uh, it started out with uh, three, gu- three guys in a bar, and I know that sounds like a joke, uh-huh. but uh, it's true, uh, at a typical APTA meeting, and I can't remember whether it was CSM or... Um, uh, national conference or what it was, but it was one of those meetings. And we were sitting there in the bar late at night and it was myself, Patrick Graham and Drew Boston. And we were sitting there and we were frustrated because the meeting kind of was your typical, uh, a meeting that, that, you know, had all the Roberts rules and all these things and no one could talk. And, you know, so it was just kind of like, and, and Patrick Graham is the one who actually said, we ought to have a meeting where we can just debate the issues. We can just, you know, bring up things that are uh, like we're doing right here in the bar. Like we were having this really intense conversation between the three of us. And I jokingly said, yeah, and we could call it the Graham Sessions. And we thought that was funny. And I go, sounds like the Jam Sessions. So, you know, we just kind of, that's how it started. And so uh, uh, we were all very involved in PPS at the time. Uh, I was president uh I think Patrick was vice president and Drew was on the board. So we were very private practice oriented. So at that time, we just, you know, we're kind of having fun with it that night. But then the more we thought about it, the more we thought this would really be a great thing. And we kind of, I'd never been to the, I think it's called the Renaissance uh, weekend or something that, you know, the Clintons used to go to in the big, you know, um, 
uh, high-powered people, and it was invite-only, but it was kind of like, well, that's kind of a think tank thing, and so maybe we could have a think tank idea, uh, you know, here in the, in the physical therapy world. So that's just kind of how it started, and I, I'm pretty sure now that I think about it, it was probably at CSM in February, and uh, so over that next year, we, we launched our first one the next January, and um, we just called it the Gram Sessions, and then we went, we approached APTA, and asked them if they would be like to be involved and kind of told them the idea. Um, you know, I'll just go out and say, I, I, after 10 years, hopefully it's okay to say this, but they thought I was crazy. It's a, <laughs> there's no way that you can get PTs in a room and have them debate and uh, discuss these high energy topics without um, chaos. And I said, no, I think we can do it. I, you know, we'll just have to. And they said, well, you know, good luck. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, um, tough. And so, but we had our first one. We, we did it in Dallas um, nine years ago. And I think we had about maybe 70 people show. And, and it was great. Uh, how we did it, though, was we thought, well, we wanted, um, we wanted the people that could speak really well. We wanted the people that were in the know. And so we started out by doing an invite only. And so we had APTA submit who they would like to invite, and we had kind of uh, the PPS side, what we wanted to invite. We tried really hard to have a diversity in the room because we felt we could learn from each other. And the whole, the whole idea of the Gram Sessions is to debate, to discuss, sit back and listen, and learn something from other people's perspective. And then you take that stuff home. Uh, or back to your your source of influence and use that information as we you know go with our uh, PT issues. Uh, so that's how it started, and we ended up with seventy that first year, and and uh, went from there. And can we for a moment talk about Patrick Graham? Yeah. Um, because I I mean I knew of him through the Graham sessions, but this year at the ninth annual Graham sessions. Um, they showed a very touching video of him that I think brought most people to tears. And yeah. so can you talk a little bit about him and the impact he sort of had, not just on, obviously on Graham sessions, but on right. PT as a whole? Because um, I didn't get a chance to speak with him, but he seems like a pretty spectacular person. Yeah, you know, Patrick's uh, been somebody I've known for a long time. Met him at a PPS meeting. Uh, just really, uh, you know, you just know a, a person's heart and you just, he's that kind of guy. And so he's very, been very much involved, especially in the private practice side with, um, serving on committees and, and head of the advocacy committee and, and vice president of the section and on the board and whatever. So a lot of people in private practice know him, uh, getting back to the genesis of the Graham sessions I actually had, uh, APTA kind of leadership at the time really trying and push me to change the name of it um, and because they, they didn't think it should be named after one person. Well, it, it, the intent wasn't to name it after one person. It's just that we kind of liked the way it sounded and it just happened to be the Graham session. So we resisted hard not to do that. So I've always said, and I think you heard me say at the beginning of this meeting, the Graham sessions is not about Patrick Graham. It, it's not, it's just, that's how we, um, uh, how we named it and we stuck with it and Patrick was one of the original idea guys. So what happened was was that uh, Patrick has has had some real illness issues for quite a few years that uh, many that are close to him know about and last year when we were in Savannah at the Graham sessions uh, he was uh, waiting uh, for a liver transplant 
and basically in a very touch and go life or death situation. And even though the, the gram sessions at Savannah were very good and people thought they were wonderful, there was a heavy cloud over the air. And I mean, people were close to tears. And, and to be honest with a lot of us thought he would probably die during that time. And so he recovered and whatever. So to see him, uh, now at the next Graham sessions in Phoenix, healthy and back at the mic and, and giving his opinions and whatever was, you know, pretty overwhelming to a lot of people. So we just thought that we didn't want to make it all about Patrick, but for those that were there at Savannah, it was kind of a nice closure thing to think, look at where we were and look mm -hmm. at him now. So mm -hmm. that's why we did the tribute. So. Yeah, yeah, it was a beautiful and, and I think also shows within his recovery the power of physical therapy. Yes. You yes. know, and how much he had to work to get back to where he is now. And it was just, it was really a beautiful film. And I don't know that there were many dry eyes yeah. in the audience. It was really beautiful. I, so well, I, he went, he went through great. it. It was, it was unbelievable. I can, I remember that, um, I don't know if you knew who Steve Levin was, but um, so Drew and I went to Steve Levin's uh, memorial in March mm -hmm. and it was very powerful. And I mean, just tears and tears and tears. And then we drove from um, Fort Lauderdale to Columbus, Georgia to see Patrick. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, at home finally and recovering from there. And then uh, we had tears and tears. And I came home after that week and I told my wife I, I hadn't uh, cried that hard and that long for a long, long time. It was just a very uh, powerful weekend. But he'd gone through a lot. And uh, so we just wanted everybody to know that. And, and people were interested. And so um, um, that's why we did it. Yeah, no, I thought it was very well done. So, so good on all of you guys. Okay, so let's get to what was spoken about this year at the annual Graham sessions. A um, lot of different topics. They range from the viability of a cash-based practice mm -hmm. to the next generation of PTs. I think there were kind of two talks that sort of talked about the, the millennials coming up and the, and the next generation, right. which I thought were excellent talks. The future of the standalone private practice, which was interesting. Yes. Um, the vibe of the room was interesting for that. Um, women's issues. And then finally, um, rethinking our business models. And the view from here, which was again that sort of multi generational panel, which I thought was really great. So, what for you stood out the most during that during those yeah, talks? You know, it's always it's always um, you know we usually have five or six topics, mm -hmm. and then the way that we do it, as you saw, we we have a panel of experts, so to speak, that give a, frame the question, so to speak, and they just take about fifteen to twenty minutes at the beginning of that topic, and then we discuss and debate it. Uh, for the next hour, hour and a half type of thing. And so what I, you know, so to coming up with those topics, we try and do what's current, kind of what's in the air, what people are talking about, um, and and try not to do the same things over and over because, as right. you can imagine, sometimes the same thing keeps coming up. So what I thought, what I thought the takeaway was in 10 years of doing this and being around the profession for a long time, I actually thought I heard um, kind of a vibe coming out of that that, the first time I've heard it, that a standalone private practice, a bigger private practice that has multiple sites, a network of private practices, and corporate physical therapy all have their place, all can contribute to the, the greater cause, and can all benefit patients and whatever. I think that's the first time I heard that because 
you know, kind of the thing like, you know, uh, it's not all about I'm good and you're bad because I'm in a different structure. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is what works for me and this is how I can contribute to, uh, you know, society in a positive way. But someone else may see it in a different way and do it in a different structure and that's okay. And, and you know, it's the first time I felt that because always before I thought there was a lot of finger pointing like, oh, well, you're this and, and that's not not right and, and you're you're pushing the limits over here and that's not right. I kind of felt that. I don't know if you felt that. Yeah, but I, I I did. I did. Yeah. I think, I don't know who said it. And, and again, we're not allowed to say who said what. That's is that, right. Is that the rules of gram sessions? That's the right? rules of gram sessions is that the only way that we can really talk to the deepest level that we want to is, and be that vulnerable, is we have to agree that when we leave the gram sessions, we can talk about topics, but we can't talk about who said what. Right. Because you know, uh, somebody wants to say something as a physical therapist with a concern, not as an APTA board member or not mm-hmm. as somebody mm-hmm. that has some title because then that comes back in print and then they have to defend it. So right. this is, you know, we create a safe environment where I can say probably what I've wanted to say for a long time, but maybe I was afraid to. Mm-hmm. So hopefully this is an environment where I can be more vulnerable. Yeah. And, and somebody said, which I really loved, was, and I'm going to paraphrase, this isn't verbatim, um, I, of course, I want I want to have a great practice, but I don't want to be the best practice in my area. I want all the other practices to raise up, and we can all be the best practices in the area. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that kind of goes along with what you just said about everything kind of having their place. And I mean, I I'm of an abundance mindset where I feel like there's enough to go around. Oh, yeah. Right? Because like we said, 100% of people can benefit from physical therapy. Yes. Yeah, and I I think it's dangerous. It's a dangerous attitude to think that, that, you know, I personally uh, give the highest quality care, give higher quality care than than somebody else without really knowing. mm -hmm. So until you can really look at similar patients and outcomes, you can't really make that statement. And I think we tend to, to do that a little bit. Like we think, oh, you know, my patients say I'm great and, and, and they just, you know, they get better. And so therefore I have, you know, the highest outcome or the best quality. And I think you have to be careful with that because um, there's other people that approach it in different ways and whatever and can have as good outcomes or better. Um, so I, it's, it's an assumption we, we need to be careful about. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said that because I see that a lot going through websites. Yeah. You know, when you go through websites of different physical therapy practices, it's, you know, I'm the best at this or don't go here because they take insurance. So, you know, it's going to be really bad. Right. They're not going to spend any time with you. And I don't. So I can spend all this time with you. Right. You know, and and there's an assumption right there. Assuming that because you spend more time with a patient, that's Mm -hmm. higher quality care. Mm hmm. You know, we, we've all know therapists that probably uh, can can give great benefit to a patient in a very short amount of time right. if they know exactly what they're doing. So Right. Yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So let's kind of break down these topics. Uh, we'll spend a couple okay. minutes on each one. So the first topic was the viability of a cash-based practice. So has our value proposition elevated itself to the level that our services can be cash-based? And are cash-based PT services scalable? Yeah, and so that was the first topic. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. We had a, a great panel there with uh, Sturdy McKee, uh, Mike Eisenhart, and David McHenry, who were all doing different things in that in that environment. 
And uh, the question is, I think we all feel like, you know, have we priced ourselves out of, uh, you know, being in the in the medical model? Have we priced ourselves out of the cash based service uh, idea that that patients are willing to uh, uh, are willing to spend money for? So it comes back to that huge thing that's that I think everyone's interested in now is is what is our value? What is the value of PT? And is it and you know, my feeling is, is that, yes, there are socioeconomic issues relating to that. But on the other hand, uh, as long as people think that, you know, uh, health care is still free once I pay my premium and, and my copay, then it's going to be a hard thing to get over. But once people realize, to me, it, it's just I don't care what level of income you're in. If, if I have a uh, musculoskeletal injury that's keeping me from doing something that I love to do or even being effective in my work or home. Um, and if it costs me, uh, you know, 800 to $1,200 to get that fixed, um, to me, that's great value. Uh, we all do it for our cars. We all do it for other things. And so I just think we need to get that message. So these were three ideas that people brought to the table of how they're doing it. Uh, one, one extreme was working with um, uh, Olympic caliber athletes. And another was working with, you know, ergonomic issues in, in the workplace. And so, um, you know, uh, and I think what came out of that, too, was you, you don't have to treat everybody exactly the same. In other words, you know, if they have a Cadillac insurance company, a, a product and, and you can work within that or whatever, fine. But if they, they have limited funds, what can I do in a. Uh, in a way that, you know, still benefits them, but meets their expectations as far as what the financial thing will be. And I think that we as PT needs to need to be comfortable with that, that we're going to approach it in different ways, depending on what the, what, what, you know, what, what the needs of the patient. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I have a cash-based business and I've been, yeah. I've had this business for, I don't know, many, many, many years now. Um, and I get the question of, well, I don't live in New York City. So yeah. how can I do what yeah. you're doing? And and I think it's possible to do in in many socioeconomic areas. You right. just have to know your audience and you have to know who your ideal yeah. patient is or your ideal client is. And I think if you have if you can do that, then you can come up with ways to, like you said, give value to those patients. And listen, sometimes it may be Maybe you're taking insurance, but you can add cash-based services to your practice. Absolutely, yeah. You know, you can yeah. do group exercise classes. You can do educational yeah. seminars. You can, you know, I, I yes, I'm a physical therapist, and I see the majority of my clients are physical therapy, but I also teach girls softball pitching. Mm -hmm. I do golf evaluations. I do ergonomic assessments. I go to people's offices. I'm all over the place. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's very possible. And I think the other big question was, was it scalable? Yeah. Well, and, and, and you know, it's now you have a, a full practice that's based on that. And, and so that's, you know, I would, you're probably going to say it is scalable. And, and then we get to the, again, we go back to assumptions. Well, your comment, well, you're in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, the father of a daughter who lived in New York City for five years trying to make it in the, in the uh, theater world, um, not everyone in New York City has a lot of money. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I know. 
again, oh, wow. and has the most expensive city in the nation. So to mm-hmm. assume that, that, you know, it's easy in New York City, I think, is an assumption that's probably not true. So yeah, I, I think you hit it right. You have to be willing to look at things outside the typical normal box of how maybe we were, we, we were taught or, or our first experience in treating patients. You have to be willing to do some different things in different ways. And, uh, and I think it is scalable. I think it'll be more and more so. And especially when we can prove through outcomes and, and other things that the value is there. I mean, you know, I, I know you do a lot of women's health, right? I don't do women's health. Oh, you don't do women's health. I don't oh, do I... women's health. Okay. I, um, I refer to really great women's health PTs, but I'm not, I'm not trained in, in women's health. I just hang out with, with pelvic mafia okay. gals. Well, let's, let's talk about women's health. I mean, there's an area that, I mean, uh, women really struggle with and if you can solve an issue oh my gosh i I mean who's not willing to pay for that listen i pay i i would pay i have paid like i had to have a i had to have surgery a couple of years ago and my doctor takes no insurance so i had to pay thirty five hundred dollars out of pocket and you know something i would have paid ten thousand because it completely changed my life so talk about so every time i think about when the cash-based things come up once you experience that value, then you really know. Yeah. And like my parent, I grew up in Pennsylvania in a small town in Pennsylvania. My parents could not understand. And this, I do this for a living, seeing people outside of an insurance system. Yeah. My parents could not understand why I would ever pay out of pocket for something. Yeah. They just could not understand it. But then once they saw the outcomes and how wonderful the doctors and the service I got, my mom was like, I totally understand why you did that. Yeah. I would have done the same. So, you know, it's pretty easy to show that value even to people like my parents who are very much resistant to it. Yeah. No, and I, especially that generation. I mean, they've they've been sold that, you know. Yeah. I mean, how many times do politicians basically, you know, kind of sell that idea that uh, that you know, we'll take care of all your needs and health care. And so when you don't think you have to pay for anything, then it's hard to pay for something. So right. hopefully the newer generations, that'll be less and less of an issue. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I hear from patients that, I mean, I see my patients once a week, you know, yeah. I see them for an hour. I go to their home, I go to their office. I see them once a week, sometimes twice. And what I hear is, God, this is so much easier and I feel so much better doing it this way than going two to three times a week to a place that that takes their insurance because then they have to leave the office or make another appointment so there are ways around it people will see that it helps their lives if you can make someone's life easier they'll pay for it absolutely that's that's my opinion okay so let's let's go on to the second topic, and we can probably combine this even with the last topic of the day, but right. raising the next generation of physical therapists. I thought there were some great hashtag fresh PTs, whatever yeah. you you know, uh, at, at Graham sessions. And so you've probably been in the game a little bit longer than I have. Yes, um, but definitely. I don't know. Could be. I'm not. I don't. I don't want to make any assumptions here. Yeah, no assumptions. We talked about those. Yeah. But no, I've been in the. I've been a PT for uh, 37 years, so that's uh, that's a long time. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of next generations kind of coming yeah. through. And what was your? So this was also a great panel. Lisa Saladin, who I like, yeah. kind of obsessed with because I think she's great. She's amazing. Um, she really is. Yeah. Uh, Bill Feister. Bill, yeah, Feister and, and Trent uh, Sallow, who was. Right spot on. But right. what is, so 
what do you think were the big topics that came out of these talks about the next generation or millennials? Yeah, and that one, uh, the second one was a little more geared towards, um, you know, should we be teaching more of the business aspects of physical therapy in the schools as opposed to, because a lot of people, again, either have assumptions or have opinions that, uh, you know, students come out of school and, and they know how to, you know, start to treat a patient, but they're just clueless on you know, uh, billing and coding and how does it work in the business and how do you, you know, all the productivity things and that type of thing. So it was, should we do a better job of doing that? And, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, what came out of that, in my opinion, was that, you know, it kind of depends on where you go and, and who, you know, we, we have, we have variation in treatment that we need to do better at in this profession, but we have variation in education programs too. And some education programs do a pretty good job of this and, and others probably don't. And it probably has a lot to do, in my opinion, with the faculty and how important they think it is. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what that is. And, then and the, what's on the test. And Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, and then the last topic was kind of we wanted to get three different views of the future of physical therapy from a new professional kind of a, a mid uh, a mid career person and then a late career person right and I think that was fun yeah, um, you know and it's great. just uh, yeah and you do see a little bit of and, and not this wrong you see a little bit of the idealistic side at the beginning you see a little bit of the more practical side at the end and um, and then you see a strong opinion of, of the person who was in the middle which was awesome right, so right. Uh, you know I just think it was a, a good way to frame it and then I thought the discussion discussion was good. And it brings back another thing that, again, uh, again, we, we think one, it's going to do one way and then it goes another. When we first started the gram sessions, I will go on record and I'll probably get, you know, uh, criticized for this, but I didn't think the gram sessions was a place for students or new professionals because I felt that the things we were going to talk about and how we we're going to talk about them, you needed some experience uh, to, to really add to the conversation. Um, and last year in Savannah, um, through Twitter, I met three very dynamic students who just wanted to come so bad they could hardly stand it. And so, um, so I said, okay, why don't you come? And they came and thought it was wonderful. And then they kind of, the word spread a little bit. And I think we had about 10. Yes, yeah, so I think there were, were nine or 10. Yeah, and I think mm -hmm. they're mostly new professionals and a couple that were still at the end of their student. Mm -hmm. thing. And so, uh, you know, I think they added uh, a lot to the conversation, um, you know, and, and again, uh, you know, I also don't think you can shortcut experience. I think experience has a lot to, to do with it. But on the other hand, uh, thank God for the uh, passion and the idealists on the other end that are going to keep pushing, you know, the, the envelope so that we all, all improve. So in, in hindsight now, uh, you know, I do think they added a lot to the, to the discussion. And, and, uh, and again, we can learn from each other. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I liked the fact that they're certainly bringing more social media attention, I think, to the profession as a whole. Yes. Um, when you look at some of the things they highlighted were the uh, PT Day of Service, which was mm -hmm. started by some relatively new graduates, Absolutely. which ended up being a worldwide event last October. Yeah. And I think that that millennial generation, as I think one of them put it, is they like to have things now and they don't yeah. like people to get in their way, um, is certainly has its place. And I, I'm hopeful that a lot of the new grads and, and students that were at Graham sessions were certainly go-getters. They're yeah. there. 
Um, And it would be nice for them to sort of rally up the rest of their classmates and the student assembly and things like that to keep pushing physical therapy to be more in the forefront in society versus a something I just have to go to because my doctor told me to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, and, and, you know, we just, it reminded me of looking back to when I started, you know, I had a lot of uh, exciting, uh, I think, fresh ideas of what I want to do and how I wanted to do it. And, and some of those came to be, which is awesome. And some of them were, uh, uh, I was too idealistic. It, it, it wasn't practical in the environment that, that I was in or whatever. So that's not a bad thing. You just learn from that and you keep going forward. So I think it's good to hear those things. And, and, uh, and, and then the social media, that really started a little bit last year. And then, as I said, this year, it was uh, uh, way different. It was... Yeah. A big part of it, which which is great. Yeah, I agree. Okay, next topic: the future of the standalone private practice. Yes, um, this was an interesting conversation. So you had someone from a big corporation, yeah, PT Corporation, right? Right. Yeah, one of the biggest. One yeah. of the biggest in the country. You had uh, someone that was sort of a. I don't know. Oh. How do you explain that? Well, you he's. Uh, that? You can uh, do it better than was, I can. He has a model that basically says, look, you know, you're a private practitioner and you want to run your own clinic and you want to own it, which is cool. But the limitations with that is systems and, and, and business systems and things like that. So he has an organization that basically provides that piece for them. So they can have their standalone clinic. They can, they can do the, the treatment things they want to do, but they have help on the business side. Right. And that's called an MSO, which is a management services organization. And then we had the standalone private practitioner who does it all himself and, mm-hmm. and uh, is a one PT practice and, and, uh, and goes forward. So I thought it was really interesting. It's in, this is the topic. This is the kind of topic where I go back to the APTA concern that was going to be chaos. This is the kind of topic that you would think going in was going to be a, a throwing tomatoes and people getting upset and whatever. We didn't experience that. No. I, think, I think that all three of them presented a very good case for why they do what they do. And I go back to what I said at the beginning of this interview where basically we came out and said, you know, there's there, there's a place for, for everybody in this situation. And it doesn't have to be this way or that way. I mean, you know, we don't have to provide physical therapy in this country um, only in a standalone private practice is the only way to do it. We all know that, you know, you get good care in hospital systems. You get good care in, in corporate PT. You get good care in, in, in other ways to do it. So if we just stick to our, um, you know, high level of, of professionalism and, 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 and the quality care issues, then I don't think the structure is as big as people like to think it is. Yeah, and I think there is one comment of, well, you just, there's no way, you, you can't open a practice like I did 15, right. 20 years ago. And that kind of, I thought, started in a, more of a yeah. lively debate, if you will. Right. Um, right. But I think it just sort of came off wrong because, yeah. yeah you can't open a business like they did 20 right. years ago. It's a different economic environment. It's a different healthcare system now. So yeah. I think that just sort of came off wrong. Would you agree? I think it just came I, off I do. Wrong. I, think, I think somebody took it, you know, as, as being a, a statement that I can't do this and somebody mm-hmm. reacted emotionally to that. But, but you're right. It is different. I mean, I, I go back when I, when I opened up a practice, you know, I look at it as you could make a lot more mistakes in those days and learn from those mistakes and, and get better. Where now, you know, it, it's you, you, you don't have that um, uh, 
that luxury of, of making a lot of big mistakes. I mean, you, you, you need to be more in the know from a compliance issue, from a systems issue, uh, you know, how to properly bill and code and all those kind of things. So I, I think that, uh, you know, somebody who thinks they're just going to go out with their knowledge just a couple of years out of school and do it totally 100% on their own and they don't need anybody else for anything, I think is, a, is probably a, a wrong way to approach it. Yeah. Uh, if you're going to do it on your own, then you need to make sure that you reach out and get the resources that you need to make sure you do it appropriately. Absolutely. And, and don't forget, opening up a business 15, 20 years ago, there was no Yelp. There was no Twitter. There was no one like calling you out. And could, I yeah. mean, it's you have savvier customers now, savvier yeah. patients who can who know that they can kind of shop around. And so, yeah, you can't you just can't have a practice like there was 15 years ago. So I agree with that comment. I think it just got kind of taken the wrong yeah. way, but yeah. it definitely sparked a good conversation. I agree. Okay. Yeah. The next topic was the Women's Issues Forum, which was moderated by Sharon Dunn, the president yes. of the APTA. Um, and I thought that was, I thought it was good. Yeah. You know, the that reason I was really excited to do that is because um, uh, Ann Wendell, who was the one, my contact on that, and I was talking to her about it. And, and, and she said, well, you know, we've done this a couple of different times, like at CSM. But when we do it, because you choose what session you go in, it's 99.9% .9 women, and there might be a guy or two in there. And so we're just kind of talking amongst ourselves. And I said, well, this is perfect then, because the gram sessions, everyone's in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's definitely, um, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm, you know, it just seemed 50-50 as far it, as women. It, I, yeah. I agree. I thought it was pretty even, yeah, in stark yeah. contrast to the PPS meeting. And so I thought it was it was really good uh, for people, um, especially the men, to hear what those issues are. Um, I'll just give you uh, uh, something that I was at a, a school um, giving a lecture, and um, and one of the students asked me, you know, what do you feel about the pay inequality in our profession? And I, I looked at her, and I have to admit, I looked at her, and I go, is there? I mean, is there? And, you know, and she said, well, what would you do in your company if you figured out someone is being paid less as a woman than a man? And I said, well, if I knew that, I'd, I'd fire the person the next day. It doesn't happen. But yet, you know, that was probably a little bit of a male naive response because we do know that there is disparity with that. And what I learned in this session is that uh, the women themselves uh, said it's because we're, you know, one of the reasons is we're not as good at negotiators mm -hmm. as men. We, we don't feel as comfortable challenging somebody uh, for that uh, higher pay or a uh, better compensation package or whatever. And, um, and and that was good to hear. You know, that was, uh, I thought that was interesting that that, that came from their perspective. And, and so uh, those are the kind of things I love about the Graham sessions because, you know, I'm lear I learn something every time when I go to Graham sessions and I'm the facilitator. Yeah. So it's just good to, to hear that stuff. Yeah, so, I, I, I like it. What did you I think? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I sort of gave an example of a woman here in New York who was offered the same job as someone she knew, and she knew yeah. how much he was offered, and she yeah. had two more years of experience and was trilingual and got offered $5,000 less a month. Yeah, I remember I'm that. sorry, $5,000 yeah. less within her salary. And so right. she, I was just with her on Friday night. And I told her that this sparked a conversation, which she was very excited about. Um, yeah. 
but she said, you know, I she actually did go back and counter and say, I know you offered this gentleman yeah. who's two years my junior five thousand more than me. So she actually did go back with that to the employer, and she did end up getting what she wanted. Um, yeah. That being said, if she didn't know that this guy was offered five thousand dollars more, yeah, you know, how, you? How, yeah. how would you know that, right? And so, yeah. I does it mean that every woman needs to negotiate? Maybe, yeah. maybe not, maybe at least not be afraid because you know if you, uh, as as uh, Cecily De Stefano's five year old son told me, if you never ask the question, the answer is always going to be no. <laughs> yeah, five exactly. years old. Wild, right? Exactly. Yeah, he's way um, up. Wise yeah. beyond his years, but so does that mean that women need to be a little more proactive about their careers and about what their their livelihood and what they're making? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. And it doesn't mean that you know, uh, uh, you know, when I think of all the people I've interviewed, there's there's been men that haven't you know tried to go negotiate up, and and uh, before I really heard that and, and thought about it a lot. I didn't have the opinion that women asked less than men, um, but I think it's a reasonable uh, and probably true in some ways, just from you know societal stereotypes that that's that's hard to hard to go overcome. So good information, you yeah. know. Let's let's teach our uh, our, uh, teach our, our young women coming yeah. up to to feel comfortable negotiating. Yeah, they sure I, do as kids. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that was really good and. And I also like the fact that Graham session was very mixed. Um, like I said, the PPS section, it was the first year I was at that meeting was back in November, and I was really struck by the fact that there are no ladies there. Mm. I mean, it is slim pickings for the yeah. for the ladies. It is mainly a male-driven um, conference, mm. and I sort of had this discussion with Larry Benz that I was surprised there weren't any female keynote speakers. And then I was told that there really weren't ever any. And Larry's yeah. like, well, when it first started, but it wasn't the meeting it was. It was just a small meeting. And some women would get up and talk. I'm like, well, that's not really the same. So Interesting. one thing that we're working on is getting a female keynote speaker in 2016. Yeah. This year. Yeah. So we've put together a list of 43 possible women. Excellent. And sent it along. So hopefully now there's no excuse, you know, to not to not have like a a, a successful as like there's not one successful female entrepreneur. There's yeah. got to be one. Oh, there's a few. I can <laughs> remember. Uh, I can remember a few keynotes uh, back when we were in Colorado Springs. Back, uh, gosh, probably the mid two thousands, mm. like two thousand five or six or something. We had a woman from Australia, and she was amazing. Yeah. So yeah. we've had a few, but yeah. I do think it's interesting when you look at private practice, and and this does come up. You know, our profession is still 70% women, 30% mm -hmm. uh, male approximately. Uh, but if you do look at private practices, it's probably 80-20. Yeah. Uh, that men, you know, own practices 80-20 uh, to women. So, uh, you know, that is a conference designed for uh, kind of business owners or private practice people. And mm -hmm. so uh, I, I guess if you just look at the numbers, you would think maybe it would be an 80-20, you know, mix. And so... Uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I I was I was glad that they had that topic. I'm glad that those issues came up, and I was glad that there were a lot of men in the room to hear those issues because they did have that talk at CSM last year in Indianapolis, and there was one guy there. That's what I yeah. And it was Larry it's, Benz. 
He yeah, got up and spoke without a problem, and then he left early. And they're like, "You see, all these women, no, not one woman comes was really standing up." And Larry's like, "I'll take the mic." Yeah, you know, he wasn't so, intimidated at all. That's no, funny. Well, no, that's no, Larry. No. We all know Larry. Right, right. So, uh, but yeah, no, I think it's uh, you're, you know, yeah. If you're just preaching to the choir, it's hard to get movement on something. Yeah, it is. So I was, I was happy that was there. Okay, and then the last one, uh, rethinking our business models. So yeah, and, talking and about was, ACOs, primary care teams, hospital systems. Yeah, so where our panel was made up of someone who walked, uh, worked in, works in the hospital system, we had a uh, kind of a medical home model person, and then we had somebody who basically set up a private practice uh, with physical therapy being a part of it, but there were very many other parts of it too in different professions. So I thought that was uh, well done as well. And uh, again, it just shows... Um, you know, it just shows that, that, you know, we can't all approach it the same way. There's different ways to do things. And the more that we can be involved with multiple uh, 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 health providers, uh, I, think, I think our patients benefit more from that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it also gives PTs a quote-unquote seat at the table. Yes, absolutely. You know, positioning ourselves as a profession as, listen, we, we can be, we're frontline practitioners, yeah. We, can, we can be included in these uh, big healthcare talks and in big healthcare companies, if you will, and in different models. There's a place for us in all of those models. That's what I got out of that. Is that there's yeah, a place for PT in all the models? We had a fascinating topic about um, a couple of years ago at the Graham sessions, where the the question was, why is it in hospital systems that you see all other the health professionals within the administration of that, but you rarely see PTs? And, you know, the assumption is, well, we just love our job so much treating patients, so why would you want to go and knock your heads with a bunch of administrators? But, you know, I do think that that's the same issue where if we want to seat at the table and we want to be known for our value, we have to be able to sit at the administration tables within a health system and basically uh, uh, advocate for our services. Otherwise, we're just going to, you know, be looked at as a commodity like we all, you know, feel sometimes and, mm -hmm. and don't like Right, exactly, exactly. It sort of devalues ourselves. Right, you know, exactly. Which, yeah. yeah, of course, nobody likes how that feels. Okay, so any other any other big takeaways? And and I should also note that there are little uh, what I believe talks, which are kind of like a TED talk type thing. And there were a couple yeah. of those, and I thought that they were all really great. We don't have enough time to go into all of those, so yeah. But no, I thought just, they were interesting. Just in general, it's just to give somebody. Um, we absolutely give no um, boundaries at all. It's a three, uh, excuse me, it's a, a 15 minute or less talk about what I believe about our profession. And we, we hope they're provocative and we hope they kind of push some, uh, the envelope on some issues. And so we usually uh, have five or six people a year uh, ask them to do that. That's something that we ask them to do and they prepare ahead of time. And uh, yeah, I thought some of them were really great this year. So. Yeah, so did I. Okay, so we talked about where Graham session started, what happened this year. So let's talk about where you see this going in the future. So next year is the 10th anniversary. It's kind of a big yep. milestone. Yeah. So where do you see this Graham sessions going to? Well, one of the things when we first started it, it took two or three years for people to get over the fact because a lot of PTs are kind of achievers or kind of taskmasters. So it's like, okay, we spent one and a half great days here. So 
let's let's uh, take something to the house or let's you know do something with APTA and and we resisted that heavily because we said no that's not what it's about we're not a body that's trying to affect change uh, legislatively or you know uh, as as a group but we want you to learn and go back and do your thing in your other areas of influence so uh, that was kind of hard to get over but we have identified some things like uh, I can remember getting back to Larry Benz I was president of the private practice section and we'd been talking for years and years and years on how to do a like a year-long business program where private practitioners could come and learn how to be business people uh, online and in person over kind of like an MBA program and we couldn't figure out how to do it at PPS you know a bunch of volunteers sitting around and when we meet every quarter you know we just couldn't get it off the ground so we had that as a topic the gram sessions everyone debated it was really a great session after the gram sessions as president of PPS I went to Larry Benz and said Larry you're part of evidence in motion isn't there some way we can do it? That was in February. By September, we had the program. Wow! I was I was actually in the first uh, first graduate class of that. I took it, and it, and it included a DPT uh, component of it as well. So that's an example of what you know excitement and passion and getting things going, and then people take it and it and it becomes a reality. And there's other examples of that. I won't take too much time to go into other examples. So to me, that's what the Graham sessions is about. Uh, so that when we do go to the House of Delegates or whatever, and, and we hear stuff that's just the same old stuff we've been talking about for 20 years or whatever, mm -hmm. somebody can stand up and say, no, we need to do something different. So that's what we hope Graham Sessions does. So where does it go from here? Uh, I think that the dynamic of it has to stay probably at that 150 participant level and less. Um, so if, it, if more people get excited about it, more people come, we're going to have to figure out a way to keep it intimate, keep it in that, you know, safe place that we talked about so people can really get something out of it. And so I don't know if we go back to the invites. I don't know if maybe we have participants and we have a, a, a gallery, you know, that maybe mm -hmm. observes but mm -hmm. doesn't participate. I, I'm not sure where we're going, but that's probably our, our um, next big job over the next few months is trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we keep it going without uh, having too many people? Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense because it, it can't, go into an overwhelming amount of people like the PPS conference or like 12,000 people going to yeah. CSM, you, you definitely lose that ability to allow yourself to feel vulnerable and to allow yourself to be in a safe spot, I think, you know, yeah. the intimacy of it, everyone in one room really lends itself to to that feeling of I'm comfortable, I can say what what I would what's on my mind. Right, and I think the the extreme opposite of that, in my opinion. So hopefully, this will probably show my personal feelings. But uh, is the House of Delegates? House of Delegates, you Roberts rules. You have to follow this procedure. You have to, you know, people. In my opinion, in the House don't always say exactly what they want to say because they have to be careful of who they are, who they're going to offend, and this and that. And it's just, you know. Um, you know, maybe in that, in that type of structure, for that reason, it has to be that way. But the Graham mm -hmm. sessions are nothing like that. Right. As a matter of fact, you know, some people get up and say what they've been wanting to say for five years and, and half the people are ready to kill them. But, <laughs> at the end, but at the end of the day, we all go to the party and have fun. And, it, it, yeah. you know, I've never sensed any ill feelings of people leaving that and being upset. Yeah. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that way at all. I mean... Uh, so we're going to kind of wrap things up here, but okay. I'll, I'll tell you what my sort of end feeling was, and then I'd love to get 
to get yours. So my feeling as I left, and you know, I thought about this on my plane ride home and the, over the next couple of days was that I think in order to really move yourself forward as a PT and to move the profession forward as a collective whole is that you have to be of the mindset that you're open to creative solutions and creative possibilities. Right. And that was my biggest takeaway. So regardless of whether what setting regardless of what setting you work in. Yeah. You know, if if you go in with the this is how it's always been attitude, I think you're going to set yourself up for failure. And I think if you go in with the mindset of I'm keeping myself open to creative solutions and to creative possibilities, that you're really going to grow as a clinician and that we're really going to grow as a profession. Yeah. So that was no, my big takeaway. I, I, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, nothing's worse than being frustrated in your own situation. And so when I go to a place like the Graham Sessions, you know, I hear about uh, – you know, I hear about David McHenry, who's working with these Olympic caliber runners. And I know that every sports PT in the country would give their right arm to work with people like that. And you think, how did he do it? He must have known somebody. No, I knew David McHenry when he was right out of school and he didn't know anybody. But because of who he is and because of those ideas that you just said and because he was willing to do something in a different way, now all of a sudden he becomes this person that's doing something that everyone is just like, wow, that, that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I think that's what those meetings are about where, you know, let's face it, we all need to be inspired once in a while. We all need, we like to hang around people that have done some cool things. And to me, that's what the gram sessions are about. You you come out of there and if, if you can't be inspired after sitting there for a day and a half, uh, um, you're in trouble, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was I thought it was a really great meeting, and so I thank you and to Patrick Graham and who else started it? Drew Boston. Drew Boston. Yes. So I thank all of you for for starting that, and I thank you for coming on and letting people who weren't in attendance get an idea of what goes on, because you know there are a lot of little rumblings happening. Sure. Among yeah. social media, and I think that we can talk on that maybe another time but but that it's this exclusive meeting and only the quote-unquote cool kids get to go and how come I can't go and is it and I think that you kind of answered that question and that you like to have you know to keep it a little more intimate for for the reasons that I think we talked about today so hopefully people can understand that and then maybe next year you'll come up with a creative solution yeah we'll we'll work hard on it I'd be yeah. remiss if I didn't say that you know uh, and thanking the Institute of Private Practice Physical Therapy which is the 5013C part of the private practice section, that this is their main event and they fund it and they mm -hmm. put this together but uh, yeah I, I just think it's uh, it's a great uh, you know, a great thing. We, we love doing it. It'll be my 10th year of facilitating it. And uh, um, just me personally, it's one of my favorite things to do all year. I think it's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and giving everyone a glimpse into the Graham session. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been fun talking to you. Great. And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.